You're listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast, where we teach you to stay away from those who say things like this. The first point that we talk to you about being empowered to lead uh, is this, this idea. I want you to know that first, number one, you were born to lead. So you're like, I, I don't see myself as a corporate CEO. I don't see myself as, a, as necessarily an entrepreneur. Some, you do see yourself as that, and you feel like you're trapped in a dead-end role, in a dead-end job. And that you feel that there's more. I, I believe God's going to speak to you to give you visions. He's going to give you dreams about what's next. And then he's going to show you how to gain wisdom as you prepare to move into that. And those who say this. Baptism is intended to be a symbol that symbolizes death into life. It's like a burial followed by a birth. Right. Or this. And the Bible says when Jesus held up that bread... On that night with his disciples, he just simply said, this would symbolize my body. As well as those who have never studied Greek, but want you to believe they have. God's plan is for you and I, his people, to live and walk in power. Now this word power is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis, it's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive. It's time now to join your hosts, Pastors Devin Kearns and John Bruss, and whoever else they invite as they continue their quest to train you in properly dividing law and gospel and staying away from the sacramentarians. Well, today on The Pluck Chicken, I have come back down to Wichita to be with my friends, Pastor Lovett and Pastor Boyle. It is so good to see you guys again. Thank you. It's good to have, it's have you down here again. Yeah, joy to be with you, Devin. Well, it might be a joy to be with me, but I don't think you're going to find it a joy to be with what we're going to be listening to. We're going to be listening to the arguments for women in ministry. This is what you're going to hear a lot of, but I got a problem right out of the chute with that. I don't have a problem with women in ministry. But as we'll see, this starts with women in ministry, and then it moves to actually women in the pulpit, women being ordained, and all of that. So having not heard at all what we're going to be talking about, pastors, what do you think about that as you just hear it right now? Well, I think it comes down to defining ministry. You talked about ordination or preaching, or what does the word ministry mean, and how would one engage in that? That would help delineate kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, it's simply a matter of terms. How do we define them? We like women. We like ministry. We like women in ministry. Depends on what that means. Well, I think you're going to be a little disheartened at what you're going to hear. Let me set this up. You've got a pastor who's brought on his executive pastor, and the executive pastor is a woman, and she is overseeing various areas of the ministry. She is a close liaison to the pastor and to the pastor's wife, who is a co-pastor of this church. So that already tells you something. The first thing I can say just about this church, it's going to lean in a Pentecostal uh, way, as you might imagine, just off the off the cuff here. He has got her up on the stage, and he's interviewing her. We're going to break in about halfway into that interview because he's really using this opportunity to set up what he's going to preach about. And what he's going to preach about is the importance of having women in ministry, i.e. for them to be ordained and engaged in what we would call pulpit ministry. So let's begin. 
Before you leave though, I don't know if everyone knows all that you do. And so I want to take a minute and honor you while you're sitting here. And um, so I don't always have this opportunity um, to do that because you're usually running around doing stuff. And, um, but so you'll know that Gina is our executive pastor at our church. And um, her role is to oversee, uh, to encourage and lift all of our ministries in our church. So when we have a highlight video, the reason she doesn't want to highlight one of them is that she is just intricately involved with all of the ministries and she knows how much each of our leaders work and, and do their absolute best for us. But she helps inspire them and just be part of their ministry. So all of our ministries run through her. And so that's her primary role. So I'm, I'm so impressed with what you do. Appreciate all your work. She also uh, oversees and sets all of our calendar events. And so when we put on calendar baby dedications and um, serve events and all that, um, so she has the, the handwriting on the big calendar and she's making those things happen as far as planning and executing all of our events. Um, she is a sounding board for me. So we meet every Monday and we talk about ministries and vision and purpose and direction. And, and so uh, she becomes a sounding board for me in terms of leadership. And I really appreciate having her voice in, in my head as we lead uh, this church. Now, I don't have any problem with what he said thus far. I do. Not only, it sets the context for what sort of church this is, okay? And so I agree. What it sounds like she's doing is what a good office manager would do. Right. And, and as far as that goes, uh, I have no problem with a, a, a woman doing that, and I think she sounds like she's doing a, a great job with it. So thank God for that. Well, and just to let you know, she's been doing it for 12 years. And with that, the issue, though, is even in what he's just said, he has clearly put himself in the position of being the leader, the one that is using her as a sounding board to make sure he's on the right track to, to lead this church in the right way. But she is there to make sure everything he wants to do can be done. So she's she's clearly the behind-the-scenes organizer. Yeah, it, it's, again, <clears throat> calling it a ministry. Why not call it an office manager or mm. coordinator? Just sounds so beneath her. Well, I don't, I don't know the lady. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I know a really good female office manager. <laughs> All right, we'll uh, continue on. She shepherds our church body. Um, she's often counseling people. She is often on phone with people. She's looking after uh, people in our church body. She loves our church body so much, and she's passionate about helping lift people up. And um, she is a life group leader. Um, she participates on the lead team with Sisterhood with Harriet. Um, she is a wife. She's a mother of four amazing men. Um, and so, and, um, and I'll tell you that she is a great friend for Harriet and I, and, um, and she does so much. And just so you'll know, next week she's preaching on top of all of that. So, so, um, so Gina, obviously you, you're bought in here at a pretty deep level. Um, and we preach, which by the way, I listened to this sermon that Gina preached. I know I've got some sort of 
disease here that I want to go and listen to all these sermons, but I listened to her sermon. It reminded me of a pep talk at a campfire. Well, I haven't listened to the sermon, so I can't speak directly to sure. it. Sure. But that's what that's what he's doing in regard to her, is he's pep talking the audience um, to receive her in a particular way exactly and this is why she's up there he's kind of already laying the groundwork he's greasing the skid so to speak Um, you started ministry here around 12 years ago and um, since we're in i love my church uh, maybe share remind me talk to our church just a moment why you love getting to be a part of this church just to lay the groundwork again, just to clarify, this is what they do at this church. Uh, I think it's once a month they have a, uh, you know, I love my church emphasis. And so they play videos of certain areas of the church. They have different leaders who oversee different things come up, and they kind of interview them, and it's the whole I love my church deal. I don't know if you're interested in doing that at either of your churches. Is that something that you might be interested in doing to try to bolster the, the crowd? Uh, yeah, we love our church every Sunday and all days in between this given Sundays. And we, we display that through hymnody and through gospel preaching and our devotion to Christ. Oh, that sounds I so know. mundane. <laughs> there, there is something about building up the community as the church to live as the church. And, yeah, amen. And, and yet at the same time, there seems to be something in this church where they they do need to have a focus like this because uh, for them church is a very different conception as it is for us and so so our loving of the church is the gathering of the faithful around Christ where he gives himself through the preaching of the gospel and at the altar and the sacrament this church can't define it that way it's got to be in these more uh, sociological terms where where we need to extol all the people behind the scenes and that sort of thing and uh, rather than living together in the community as the body of Christ. I don't hear it tossed around too much, but it seems that that's the phrase felt needs. Oh, kind sure. Of in a nutshell. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Is that you heard about felt needs quite often back in the day, but now you don't don't hear it, even though it's addressing the exact same. Uh, it's scratching the exact same edge. That's a great question. I love it for so many reasons. Um, But if I look at the whole of why I'm here, it's because we believe in the gifts of who God is and that they are available for each one of us. And when I operate with that kind of authority and power in my life, I know that I can stand on his word. I know that I can stand on truth. And I know that the people around me who believe the same way, that we can literally storm the gates of hell together and nothing will come against us. So I believe, I believe that that's the kind of pastors that we have who set that precedence. Um, Tim was healed, which led my faith to be encouraged and strengthened, led my son to be healed. Um, it, it has impacted me in ways that I could be here for hours talking about, but it's a significant impact on our family as a whole, certainly on my life. My faith is forever different because I'm part of Life Church. It's awesome. Well, we love you. Stay here real quick. Um, so before I go into my message and before you leave the platform, uh, I wanted you to be here as I set up my sermon because it's going to make a lot of sense. So s- stick with me. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I love about our church 
is that we believe and utilize women in ministry at our church. And um, so, Gene. Uh, just to stop in there, I mean, for crying out loud, so do we. Do we not? Yeah, of course we do. At my congregation, we have a trained deaconess, and we've started uh, all-day prayer vigils, generally on the four ember Saturdays of the year. And it's really her job to organize uh, volunteers and to pray with people who might like someone to pray with them, to help people find prayers maybe in the hymn book or some other uh, resources that we have. So I would say this deaconess is ministering in the sense that she's praying with people and that she's being extremely useful to Christ and his church in this particular capacity. So, yeah, like like Father Jeff said, we love women and we love ministry and we have women in ministry. For those who don't know, could you tell us a little bit more about those prayer days? We begin in the morning, generally around 7 o'clock with the corporate office of Matins, and then we have we try to have volunteers sign up so that there's at least two people in the sanctuary all day praying. And this would be silent prayers or at least uh, low-spoken prayers. And we have a variety of things for which they can pray. We have written collects and general prayers, but then we also have a list of people who are ill in our congregation or people maybe who are moving or in transition, uh, new members. We also list out all of our public officials from the federal all the way down to the very local politicians and government officials and encourage prayer and it can be repeated prayer we have prayer cards where people can write down requests and know that someone that day has prayed for them and then interspersed throughout the day we gather for the different corporate prayer offices such as vespers and evening prayer comp line so somebody would sign up for a certain period of time is that how it works Yes, we, we encourage people to do that. Say so you could take the 10 to 11 hour or 11 to noon hour, but you certainly don't have to. People can come whenever they have availability, and you can even come twice if you really want to. <laughs> you could even stay the whole day, although Whoa. I've not had that happen yet. But this deaconess is largely in charge of all of it. Obviously carries significant role and authority in our church. Um, she's preaching next week. Harriet preached last week. Harriet serves as lead pastor here as well, um, lead sisterhood. And so um, next month, Bailey Holmes is going to be preaching um, next month. Um, so, uh, so like there's a lot of activity of women in ministry here. Uh, Nicole Roberts, she leads our children's ministry, but she also preaches. Michelle Hilliard right here on the front row is on our platform all the time leading ministry. And um, so, so, you know, we don't just believe in women in ministry. We actually have women in ministry. And, um, and so I think that sets us apart in some ways. How? How does that set them apart? That's what I was curious about is what's the history of this church? Is this a congregation that this is a, a new thing for them? Is this an ongoing thing? Is this a cutting edge thing? Are they trying to carve their own space out? Is this a uh, kind of trying to play a political card game where, where we want to bring in people that may be in stodgy old churches where women don't preach and look at us, we we have that available, or it's one of those things that this church, what it, what is behind what they're doing is a question I've got. As far as women in ministry goes, we have, I'd say at many of our churches, daycares or preschools or Sunday school for kids or social ministry opportunities. We also have 
a fairly active altar guild at both of the congregations I serve that are uh, not exclusively, but largely led by women. And so there are, there are loads of things that can be done in the church by women in great service to the church. And that doesn't seem all that new. It doesn't seem new. And it's interesting that in conversations such as this, it seems that the only way to really have performed a ministry is to be able to perform a public ministry that really boils down to preaching. So why aren't the Christians celebrated men and women who serve the church in the capacity that God has given them? Some of them are wonderful groundskeepers. Some of them give a great deal about money. Some of them cause prayer to bubble up because they need a lot of prayer or because they cause the need for a lot of prayer. <laughs> so we give thanks to God for those that we are reminded the grace of God is with us. So everyone, everyone works for the common good. Right? St. Paul says that to each is given in portion to the faith the measure of the Spirit for the common good. But that's not celebrated. This is a celebratory, and you can hear it in their clapping and their cheering whenever a woman is going to preach, as if this is some sort of achieved, new, progressed wonderment that is better than anything else. So what about all the women who don't preach or don't think they should preach? Are they somehow less in the ministry of Christ for his church? And um, But... Um also, and, and, and let, me, let me tell you what my title is, my message, and then I'll, I'll, I'll finish. My, my title today is Equally Called Women in Ministry. And, um, and so that's where I'm going to take us for a few minutes. And the reason I want to set today up is, one, is we have women in ministry. And maybe uh, you come from a, a, a um, background that taught you that women shouldn't be in ministry. And um, so I want to lay a foundation for that, that the Bible teaches that women should be in ministry. And I just want to get that into our hearts because... How did we miss that? You're telling me that the Bible teaches that women, again, 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 I, and you made it, uh, Pastor Lovett, you made it very clear at the very beginning. When we say in ministry, this is totally different from the pulpit ordination, let's say ordination slash pulpit ministry. Yeah, I think the word is larger than that. As Lutherans, we tend to rely on a particular word called vocation, where in a similar way, it is a loaded divine term. God has called individuals into various vocations, that is, areas of service to God and to fellow man. And in these vocations, we have things that are glorious, like motherhood, you know, where, where a woman is given to care for, nourish, and lead her children in a particular way that is glorifying God. That shouldn't be second rate to preaching. No, but distinct from it, as Correct. I'm sure you would agree. The, even the word ministry, it, it just means to administer that which you have. So a mother ministers to her children in caring for them. A father ministers to his children in caring for them in a fatherly way. The whole church ministers to one another. It, it gives the things of God to each other in faith, hope, and love. So to shoehorn it into a very specific this means preaching and primarily some sort of public participation in the life of the congregation, I think is to do the word harm, and it's to ostracize the varied gifts and graces that God gives to his whole congregation for the good of the congregation. So interestingly enough, as we talked about before, Pastor Boyle, you come from a 
Roman Catholic background. Pastor Lovett comes from a Southern Baptist background, just like myself. How is it that the Roman Catholics, the Southern Baptists, and now the Lutherans have got it all wrong? How is that possible? But this Yahoo is going to stand up and correct everybody, saying that the Bible says that they should be in not just ministry, but be in pulpit ministry. I'm going to guess, not having heard this sermon, that he has a very different view from the get-go of what preaching is and what the pastoral office is, what ordination is. These are, these are things that we hold very differently. So it's almost dealing with a different language right now. And it'll be interesting to see where he goes with it. Well, I would say he never went to seminary. Not that seminary is the... Um, be all and end all yeah, of yeah, what yeah. it means to be a... Yeah, of what it means to be a pastor. But, uh, you know, in his somebody like him, I'm not saying he, but, uh, you know, he would say something like, well, Jesus' disciples didn't go to seminary. I mean, some silly argument like that, as if the three years they spent yeah. with our Lord were not a seminary training course, right? Exactly. So to your point, Pastor Boyle, you're exactly right. Next year in 2022, we're going to have an ordination service, two of them, but one for Harriet will be officially ordained into ministry. We've never done that. Um, and so it's time, way past time. Um, and also Gina is going to be ordained into ministry next year. And so as we step into these arenas, I need us to have a foundation that the Bible says, yes, equally called. So, Okay, so with that, they're already doing it. They've already planned for next year's celebration of these ordinations. And now he's going to lay the groundwork. It's a little bit of putting the cart before the horse here, where if he truly does have the intention of catechizing his people into what's right, what should follow from that teaching then would be the ordinations or even the possibility of it. But clearly here, he's already got this set. And, and now he is giving the people something so that he can say, look, I told you about this. I, I taught it to you. And rather than it coming from that church, it is his vision we're going today. So I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, um, you may make your way down. But would you give Gina a good clap as she, before she goes? So Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you that, that uh, you're doing so much in our church. I thank you, Lord, that uh, we look at the highlight video, Father, and we see the, the movement of God and we, we see so many people that have been coming to church and 28 new families last month. And, and Lord, we're just blown away at the move of God here. I thank you for our worship. I thank you for just people being saved almost every week in church. And so, Father, I thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you would help me to speak about this topic that in some ways may be a little bit controversial to some, but Father, we're just fine with stepping into those controversial moments if it's in your word. And so, Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? Yeah.
Amen, amen. There's so many reasons I love our church. Honestly, um, I love that our worship is focused on the presence of God. I, I love that. I think that I think that somewhat differentiates us. It's not about performance, but we really want to be in the presence of God. I love how welcoming and friendly our church is. Uh, when you walk in our church, you're going to be welcomed and helloed, and and you know, and you're probably going to get hugged along the way. And uh, I love that. I love that we believe and practice and talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. I love that. I love that we're a, a very um, a faith-centered church and we pray for miracles and, and another type of opportunity where people will say, well, uh, I believe that God heals, but we actually pray for God to heal. Like we, we put that into action. And so that's why we have people on the sides to pray. Um, I love that we're a bold church and we don't shy away from topics like women in ministry. We don't shy away from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't shy away from cultural issues. We've had sermons on God and, and country and politics and um, we'll, we'll step into any of it. If it's in the Bible, I'll be glad to talk. Well, I don't know if I'm always glad, but I will talk about it. Sometimes I sweat through it, but, um, um, but it's good. You know, we have to be bold and we have to be bold. Harriet taught us last week about being uh, courageous last week. And um, so um, amazing, amazing. Um, I love that we give salvation invitations at the end of every service. Surprisingly, that doesn't happen everywhere you go. I can't imagine anything that's um, not more important than seeing lives changed and going to heaven. And so I love all these things about our church, but we... I'm glad that he is proud of his church for giving salvation invitations. Our church happens to distribute salvation to all. On a weekly basis, uh, multiple, multiple times every week. Rather than talking about salvation, we actually give them salvation. And rather than thanking God for a few people being saved every week even, everyone being saved every week, everyone being given Christ and Him crucified. It's it's just such a fundamentally different view of things where, right. where they want to... Uh, they want to talk about it. They want to lay it before you. They want to tell, teach it, whatever it is. But but there's no actual delivery of Christ to his people. That's right. It's uh, The other way of saying it is if he were to say, uh, you know, I can't imagine that... Uh uh, that churches around what uh, around the town or whatever uh, don't give altar calls. My thought is, in the Lutheran Church, we give an altar call every week, and everybody comes forward to receive, as you just pointed out, this gift of salvation that Jesus Christ wants to give us. I have really no problem with what he said, and I would argue that at St. John's Lutheran Church, at both of your, or all three of your churches, uh, the, the two uh, that you oversee in Pastor, uh, Pastor Boyle, and the one that you oversee, Pastor Lovett, we could echo exactly what he's saying at our church. That What he said here really makes them just one more church, in my opinion, and what God is doing in the world. We may not always give hugs, but that's because we're German Lutherans. Uh, otherwise, yes, we, we do rejoice. But you people. get hugs yeah, because people love you. I do, especially because my kids even forcibly give me hugs. Oh, okay. But, but at the same time, yeah, it is good to greet people when they come in. Sure. To be kind, to uh, teach the word, to boldly speak things, whatever the scripture speaks. Yes, that is what we're given to speak as well, which is, by the way, one of the joys of the lectionary is being given a text to preach, whether we 
wanted to or liked it or not. We have texts that confront us that are very practical to our lives, whether it's politics, whether it's uh, whatever new trend of sexuality is being spoken of. These things confront us in the scriptures week in and week out. Yeah, so the issue is is that he talks about how he's going to wade into areas that even, quote-unquote, make him uncomfortable or, or make him sweat or however he worded it. Man, when you're faced with electionary, it's not about, you know, you turn the page to the next week and think, what's next week? And then you read it and you think, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And this is actually what Okri would say, Pastor Okri, he would say, that's when you preach the epistle lesson (laughs) (laughs) the the other thing is when he he spoke about how proud he is of his church for not being an entertainment driven church right but what have you heard i mean again as i told you at the very beginning we're an hour into this service actually we're 57 minutes and 57 seconds into this service which has been nothing but entertainment leading up to it with videos and rock concert music and all the like and it's all formulaic it is intentionally meant to build anticipation so that finally they can bring it to its climax and then slow it back down again, build it up again. And and at each of these points, there's a calculated manner by which you take the offering, by which you call people forward for their salvation invitation. Now, would you call that manipulation, Pastor Boyle? Absolutely. Oh. I, I think it is. Now, I do think it's manipulation. On the other hand, it may be that There are many people involved in this, many ministries, as that church would say, where they don't think of it in terms of manipulation, and and probably many of them are manipulated and think that this is the way of the Spirit, without knowing that behind the scenes there are calculations as to when these things take place, which songs get played when, how they are played, how the band composes itself, and uh, the, these things are calculated. It's not anything new. Well, you know, it's like Chris Roseborough always says, as the music comes on at the end of the sermon, this is to simulate the Holy Spirit now descending upon the audience as they make their decisions for Jesus. I don't like it. <laughs> this was done by Charles Finney. Oh, yeah. right! Yeah, I mean, this is nothing new. Right. right. I mean, he had a method for, I believe, what was it called? Was it called The New Rules? Anyway, he wrote a book on this about right. how to manipulate an audience. It worked. Absolutely. Bringing us what? The Great Revivals. He doesn't talk about, when he goes through all of his things that God is doing in his church, he doesn't talk about how many families may have left that year. Right. He doesn't talk about how many people may have suffered. It's, do you notice it's entirely in the realm of what are the glorious things right. that can be seen, felt, touched, calculated among us? Uh, not any of the sufferings, the deaths, the departures, the fights, the breakups, the divorces, whatever it may be. You know, it's interesting that you say that because the last guy that we listened to, the three of us together, we uh, listened to his sermon. They had a girl die. Uh, in their church, who used to uh, play on the worship team. And she died actually trying to uh, pull somebody else out of a, a riptide wow. uh, at the ocean. So, I mean, it was a, mm. a tragic, uh, horrible thing. 
That church talked about that lady's death. I mean, they even brought out the T-shirt that she was wearing when she died because the T-shirt had the name of the church on it. And it was, I forget get the lady's name, uh, but it was Be Like Her. She served in the church. She died protecting and trying to save somebody else. If I recall correctly, I mean, she, she did actually help in in saving somebody else, but unfortunately lost her own life. You would have thought that of this church of 15 or so years, this is the first person that's died. It permeated their conscience, that being the church of the fact of this young, healthy person dying. And I'm thinking, how many people have you buried just in the course of last year, since last All Saints Day? Last year was 14. 14 names that we listed at All Saints Day. I find it very, very interesting. I mean, in this town, I mean, it's a beach town. It's a young town. It's a vibrant town. A lot of young people. There's not a lot of snow on the roof, so to speak, uh, at these churches. So death is something that's yonder for them. Well, exactly. That's what made me think that their ministry, their audience is largely young and vibrant, and and thank God in many ways that the young and vibrant do not often die like that. It, it, it is um, unique circumstances by and large, though it does happen. But when you deal with a church that has, from the infancy to the octogenarian regular attendee, you, you confront death a whole lot more. Absolutely. And to a point, uh, I, when I was in a non-denominational church, and I wouldn't even put us in the category of what we're listening to now. However, when a pastor, typically, typically, when a pastor plants a church, the majority of the people who are, let me just say, attracted to that church, they're in the age range of the pastor. That's just a general rule of thumb. So we had, I mean, we planted our church in 2001. So I'm in my early 30s. And guess who we had as our congregation? I mean, it was a bell curve, but the majority of that bell curve was 30 years old. And uh, I remember uh, hanging out with a, a good friend of mine, much older, who was at the Baptist church down the, down the road. And he said to me one time, he said, do you realize that there is another floor at the hospital, other than the maternity ward? <laughs> because every time I told him about going to the hospital, it was because somebody was having a baby. Yeah. Well, that's a good reason to go to the hospital, which is not the only one. Right, right. <laughs> we are very unique that we believe in women in ministry, and I think it would be helpful for you to understand the biblical foundation for that, because if someone ever asks you, I want you to, maybe if you can't quote all the verses, but to have confidence that, that you're good, you're on solid foundation. Now, there are a couple verses that are honestly kind of confusing and can be what I would say misinterpreted to say that women, because they're women, should not be allowed to be in ministry. And, and many, 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 many churches practice that and, and they won't allow their women to have significant roles in ministry. I mean, they'll let them watch the, the kids and, you know, and, and do, do nursery work and, you know, but um, you won't see them preach on us. That goes to the point of preaching some, somehow being the pinnacle of ministry in terms of desirability. I, he just 
insulted all the women who love children and want to watch the children and maybe know that that mother over there is having a difficult time with her kids. I can handle that. I can help in that regard. But that's nice and that's pleasant. But you haven't really achieved the next tier of ministry if all you're doing is Mm. what is classically called the role of women. It's kind of insulting. And so, um, and you know, I'm not here to debate them um, because I'm right. Um, It's okay for women to be in ministry. So no debate. Um, But why do some churches, why do some churches believe? Well, I guess he's not really going to listen to this episode of the podcast, eh? Probably not. Okay. I mean, if he does, he just... No no debate. No debate. I've I've already determined my decision. Eve, that women should not be a ministry. And so there are a few verses out there. I'm going to take one and then tear it apart so you can see it in a better light. Um, yeah, he's going to tear it apart all right. So just as an example, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 33, verses uh, 33 through 35, is a verse that, that really does look like that women ought to, you know, submit and be quiet, you know, and just like, that's it. But let's read it and let's, let's dig it out. It says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Verse 34 says, women should be silent during church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive. Boy, I'll tell you, if I was a woman, I'd be like, man, that's a tough verse. If you misunderstand it, it is. Just as the law says, if, if you have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. So listen, if you were to just read this verse and just kind of go, well, there's what it says, and you might think it's improper for women to speak, and you might be, um, you know, when Harriet or Jean or Bailey or Nicole or, or Michelle or whoever is female steps up here, you may be like, well, I don't know if I can, I can really lean into this because it seems unbiblical. But, but, you know, listen, well-intentioned people have missed it, and, and I get it. And they interpret this verse to mean this. that. So he's going to lay down the, the ground rules for really what everybody has missed. This is the hubris that I just find absolutely astonishing. Well, he needs to, to be confident in it. I mean, as Father Jeff already pointed out, he's already done everything now he's just trying to make it so that no one can come back and say hey you didn't tell us so i mean he needs to be as confident as he can possibly be but it is an arrogance that is doomed he's speaking against the church well and (laughs) even his reading of the scripture but you could tell where he puts the emphasis yes you know it's like the entire time it is uh you know can you believe this well if you if you read it like that then 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 it's wrong and he's giving everyone particularly women but he's giving everyone permission to question the apostolic writings just based on their inability to believe that this is what they could have really meant So if I don't think that they could have possibly really meant to say that the sacrament is the body and blood of Jesus, well, then I'm free to reject that. So it's the classic and as ancient as history itself is ancient ability to dictate to God what God really said. You know, you're bringing that up here reminds me of how the Bible is the norming norm. Right. And so uh, what would you have to say to the, the Bible as the norming norm? Well, we have to take our 
interpretations and our feelings, in this particular case, definitely our feelings, and measure them against what the scriptures do say. Even when a culture is going to bristle at the thought of it or what it is teaching, correct? Well, even when I bristle at it, I mean, he said that if I was a woman, this passage would really give me some problems. Well, why doesn't it give you problems as a man? Are you afraid of the responsibilities that this passage suddenly gives to you? Are you pawning it off on women because you don't want to do it? Are you, Adam, saying, well, the woman you gave to me, she's more capable than I, so she's going to do it? So it doesn't even have to be culture. It's just our own sinful nature to want to dodge, duck and weave from what our Lord says in his scriptures. And to go back to one of the things that we have said before on the Pluck Chicken podcast, Pastor Bruss made a great analogy, and you probably used it too. It's this whole idea of there's a clock somewhere in the world, and it is the clock that is keeping the time wherever it might be. And it is the norming norm of all the clocks elsewhere. It's the one that tells us the exact time. And in the same way, this is how the Bible operates, in that it is the norming norm. And so all churches, all Bible readers, they they follow that norming norm. And we've already seen here that this guy is off the reservation. Except he wants, I think he would agree with that. Oh, he wants to be exactly. off the reservation. Well, no, okay. no, no. I, th- I think he wants the Bible to be the norming norm. The problem is, it's only the norming norm in the way that he understands it. And instead so of? Instead of the way either that it's been handed down, in, instead of the way that it's been interpreted through the church, it is, what is my interpretation of the scriptures? Right. And you know, this is a great point, and this touches on so many other areas other than just women's ordination or what have you. Sure. Had a conversation this week with uh, someone who didn't grow up Lutheran. She married a Lutheran. She's become a Lutheran, but she still has a problem with baptism. Not just infant baptism, but just baptism in general in that God would do this miraculous work in a person's life as a result of word and water. I mean, she's got the definition down, but she still, well, we talked about magisterial use of reason versus ministerial use of reason. The point is, and which I can completely relate, and I'm sure Pastor Lovett, you can too, the fact that she's seen the same verses that we use as Lutherans, but they were never applied to to baptism. Right. And so the idea is to go back to what you said, Pastor Boyle. You've got this verse and a group of people interpret it to mean this over here. Same verse and a group of people interpret it over here. We would say, you know, the the Catholics, the Orthodox, the Lutherans, maybe some Anglicans, they would put it over, you know, they would interpret it interpret it this way. Sacramental Protestants over here on this side, that has nothing to do with the sacraments. Well, what do you do? I mean, what breaks the tie? Well, for me, what broke the tie is going back and reading the church fathers. These guys were closer to Jesus and the apostles than Billy Graham was. So what did they say about this same verse? And lo and behold, what they say about that verse is, it is speaking of the wondrous works that God does through word and water or through bread and word or through wine and word, what have you. 
It was amazing. I mean, that was the tiebreaker for me. On those same lines, I think it's interesting to see where there is a so-called traditional understanding of any text, whatever it is, whatever the topic is, there is a received tradition of that text, and then something breaks. It wasn't always that you've got these groups over here interpreting it this way, these groups over here, and we've got to right. choose, right? right, so, right. so there is a an inherited interpretation of these scriptures. And, and where is it that they break? And what are the things that are going on that are forming the thoughts that are interpreting the scriptures that way at that time? And I, I think these are cultural questions that we need to wrestle with. What is it about the way we are given to think that is so fundamentally different than the way perhaps those of a generation ago or 10 generations ago were given to think? And and is that cultural way of thinking something that is without problem? You know, so for instance, is there something in our culture that has given us a sort of language or, or tools of thinking and, and discerning these things that may be setting us off from the scriptures as the norma normata, as we say in Latin, norma normata, but the norming norm, where, where we have the scriptures being that fundamental voice of Jesus. What happens in our culture that would turn us from that to read the scriptures now in light of the either the uh, images of the self or psychological interpretation it, it, that he would read this passage and say, if I were a woman, I certainly would be uncomfortable with this. Well, there were countless women of numerous centuries that were not uncomfortable at all with this verse. In fact, they rejoiced in it because the Lord had given them a preacher. But it's only in our culture, let's say our enlightened culture, that sees things in these psychological lenses that then would change the way we read the scripture. All women in every church and every generation should be silent and it's improper for women to preach. That's how they interpret that, that that all women, every church for every generation. But that is not what the Apostle Paul intended as he wrote these words to the church of Corinth. Um, What he was doing was addressing the disorder that was in that particular church. He was addressing the fact that in this particular church, some of the women were interrupting the service as they were preaching and teaching and having service, and they were disruptive. Where is that in the text? Well, I let, just don't see it, brothers. It's, it's, it's not in the text. Actually, what the text says is the text that he just read. It says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the meetings of God's holy people. So mm-hmm. he's going to make the argument that there was just a little brouhaha happening in this one particular church, even though St. Paul has just said, this is, what do we say, exclusive? Yeah, it's not unique to this congregation. Right. And and I don't like his interpret or his translation, whatever he's using. New Living Translation. It is not in all the meetings, It's which is... It's in all the churches of the saints. Oh, even better. All the churches. So in all of the churches. 
Yeah, it's New Living Translation, which, of course, as you all know, is a uh, paraphrase. And that's what well, he's preaching from. It's not just a paraphrase. As Father Jeff pointed out, it's a self-psychological appropriation to it. I mean, mm. the New Living Translation is the quintessential byproduct of that terrible phrase, my Bible. I mean, that that's what churches like this if I could be so bold to paint with such broad strokes, really have succumbed to is that phrase, well, my Bible says, my Bible says, right. my right. Bible says. Right. And it's a, it's a possessive that puts the individual over the written word. Mm. So then you go to your local bookstore or your online bookstore and you find the Bible that best reflects you. So with this New Living Translation, I, I had a member... She's she's now living out in Arizona. Sweet, dear member. And she had this New Living Translation. She'd come to Bible study faithfully every Sunday, every Wednesday. And, and she has told me numerous times that it's in her will when she dies to give me this Bible. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> it's, because, it, I mean, it became a running joke, but, but full of joy. She would read the text... And I would say something like, oh, Audrey, F minus, minus, minus. <laughs> that is so wrong. Cross it out, underline, whatever it is, write this in. Because it, it was constant. And so she kept bringing it because of that. It would bring new insight into it through how terrible it was of a translation. Or, you know, it's really far more on the side of interpretation towards this cultural self that... Other Mark has brought out. That's why Paul said in the context of this verse, in verse 33, he says, God is not a God of disorder, but peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. So in other words, they're having a meeting, and, and for some reason, those women were asking questions, and it was just disruptive, and it'd be like, you know, um, one of your ladies looking across at somebody over here and go, hey, what's he talking about? You know, like, I don't understand, you know, or, and so Paul's like, you know, it's so disruptive and, and like, um, I need these women to be quiet. There's a better way to do this. And, and I'll be honest with you, I, I would do the same thing today. If some of you women decide to talk while I'm talking, I'd be like, no, it's my turn. I'm on the platform, you know, get your own small group and you can talk all you want. You know, I mean, that's fine. But I'd do the same thing to the men, you know, men, if you were interrupting too, I'd be like, dudes, please. Shh. You know, like we have a conversation. I'm doing the conversation. Uh, I would do it for the youth. I mean, you know, I love our so if that's the case, if he do it for the man, if he do it for the youth, if he identifies with Paul's desire here, why is it that Paul singles out the women? Surely there are also guys, that, we all have them, we've got guys, especially you get to a certain age, you can't internalize your voice as much. <laughs> and so you turn to the guy next to him and say, can you believe he said that or something? And everyone hears it. Uh, it's... It's not an issue of a generality of disruption that St. Paul is talking about here. That is nowhere in the text. What's in the text is quite clear, and that's, that's the more difficult thing.
things. And, you know, but if, you know, if you're talking while I'm talking, I'd be like, hey, we can't do that, you know, or uh, sometimes, you know, we have young babies that cry and, you know, I, I love the babies, but, but, you know, if, if your babies are, are hogging all the attention in the back, maybe they're so cute. I'm like, you can't bring your cute baby in here. Everybody look at your baby when I need them to look at me while I'm talking, you know, I'm just saying, I'm just preface that or, or juxtaposition that next to his comment some time ago about we he loves his church because he believes in the presence of God in his church, but not, <laughs> but not for the babies. The babies need to go. But even, if anybody interrupts me, then darn it. <laughs> yeah, right. Even though they might be cute or whatnot. And, and he did say babies in the back. So this isn't particularly on topic, but it does go to show the um, genre of this style of meeting, as he likes to say, that this is not a meeting to be in the presence of God. This is a meeting to be raised up um, academically, perhaps in your mind, or Bible study, or emotionally, probably more to the point. And any disruption to the desired result of an emotive reaction ought to be silenced. So babies are right out because they are uncontrollable and they're going to cause realism to break through the facade of having such a metered organization to facilitate that proper emotional reaction. Meanwhile, we have a service in the Lutheran Church that is incredibly ordered, that embodies what St. Paul says here of God is a God of order of peace not of disorder and we love it when babies cry yeah my church has a bunch of babies and they all sit up front it's wonderful well i mean things are on fire up there you <laughs> want the right. kids to be as close as possible <laughs> to see fire it. there's colors there's movement and they could see it all right but but then at the same time yes there can be a point where the baby gets so inconsolable where I encourage our people still not to leave, but maybe it takes standing up with their child and walking along the aisles or something like that, where, where maybe the baby needs it not to be sitting in the pew for that whole time. Stand up and, and walk with the baby, but don't leave. Amen. Uh, you remember at the Life Conference that we went to just this past Tuesday uh, and how Pastor Bruss was reading the scriptures and he said, Lord, have mercy. And the people all said, thanks be to God. Did you hear that? And about two seconds later, a little child set out very faintly. Thanks be to God. No, I didn't think it was so faint. It was wonderful. Uh, <laughs> wasn't it great? It was a well-catechized child. Absolutely. Thanks be to God. Absolutely out there disruption any kind of disruption is what paul is addressing happened to be in this church the women were a little bit you know noisy you know and i don't know i mean maybe they had some some women that wanted to talk i, I don't i wasn't there but i know that paul was just addressing a situation there so listen here's the deal paul is that what paul was addressing just a situation there uh he just he goes to extreme lengths with a net that is not connected at all to itself on trying to convince the audience that Paul doesn't mean women. He just means don't be disruptive during service. Right. It's, the, it's just turn your cell phones off when you walk in and be quiet and let the service progress as normal. I mean, it's, it, it's, not, it's not convincing at all. There's no text to it. There's no exegesis. He, just, he wants the end goal to be don't be disruptive and the fact that it's women, just Paul just had some noisy women, which, by the way, I maybe should be offensive also. 
isn't, isn't that a trope that women just right, gab and right, talk and right, are noisy? So right. maybe they should be offended at that anyway. But but it's a it's a pathetic attempt to generalize what is extremely not generalized. On on the flip side, it is also an extreme particularization that now removes this verse from any canonical intention. So this verse ultimately doesn't apply. This is at this particular time, in this particular place, and it has nothing really to say to us. Except don't be noisy, women. Yeah, at, at best, that's its generalization. Don't be noisy, women. We need the whole army working. We need everybody participating in ministry. Um, the Bible has this main, you know, commission, the great commission, and it says, go therefore and, and you know, and, and reach the nations. Well, he didn't say that's just for the dudes. Um, you know, he's like, I need everybody to go. Like, we need everybody in. Uh, I believe that men and women are complementary to each other. They complement each other in ministry. Uh, just speaking of Gina a minute ago, of course, um, you know, always giving value to my bride because we talk about every issue in church. Um, but I also sit with Gina and I get, I get a different perspective from her because she comes from a, a female perspective. Listen, I'm not asking her to think like a dude. I want her to think like a female and bring that perspective in because I cannot think like a female. I have tried to figure them out for years and years and years and I can't do it. Um, and so like, I'm like, you're gonna have to tell me. Tell me what I don't know and help me see what I can't see. And they bring a healthy perspective to the ministry. So the church needs everyone. Number two, uh, the younger before he gets to number two, I don't disagree with that. I mean, it's good to have a woman's opinion. I mean, this is why we have wives, you know, to give us a another side. Not only that, but this again is a uh, a reason for why the deaconess ministry has a, a great value is that there is a way in which women can minister or care for right. people in a way that we cannot. Right. Great point. And thank God for that. Amen. Generation needs role models to inspire them to pursue leadership in every sphere of life. Listen, if the church can't get it right, how is a young girl that's sitting there with her mom and dad in church going, well, if no women get to ever participate and lead, how can I be inspired to go lead a business one day? This is like the most awful argument I have ever heard. Well, it's amazing that he just not four breaths ago said it's not because he wants to be culturally relevant. <laughs> this is nothing but cultural relativity. <laughs> he said every cliche in the book just so that he would be accepted by the women's movement so that they can do what we can do and perhaps even they can do it better, to quote the old musical. The the problem is, is is that he's excluded everybody. So he's, he spent a long time saying, everybody, the whole army of God, all the people need to start participating in this. Well, why doesn't everybody just flood the platform he's on and start speaking? Because God is a God of order or of peace. What about children? Children should start being ordained because children, too, have the Spirit of God. That's a ridiculous argument. It's not even an argument. It's a platitude. Well, unfortunately, he's going to... Keep on jumping up and down on this one. Amen. I have a daughter. 
I want her to grow up believing that, that God can call her to do anything he's called her to do and she's without limits because she's a girl? Like, no, like she is, she is equipped and God has poured his spirit into her and she can lead and she can prophesy, she can create business, whatever God puts in her heart. We're not limiting it because of some wrong teaching. Amen, amen, awesome. Thank you, thank you. Moms and dads, you know, with daughters, you should be proud to be in a church that inspires your daughter to be all that God would call her to be. All of us have daughters. Would we be proud to be able to go into this church and see these women prophesying? What if God calls your daughter to be a man? What if she really believes that her calling then is to be a trans man? It, it, it all comes down to what do I want for me and how can I fulfill my own destiny, which is only defined by me? Unfortunately, I'm so finite that I can't formulate an actual meaning for my life. So I have to divulge into this uh, metaphysical world where I can be all I can be and I can be anything I want to be. It's just not true. And I know it was the mantra of our culture for decades and decades, several generations, that you can do whatever you set your mind to. It's just not true. You can't do whatever you set your mind to. It is an absolutely ridiculous argument that spits in the face of reality and truth. Gina preaches next week or Bailey preaches next month. You ought to be sure your daughters that can understand what's going on in here are seeing that and they're, and they're in their hearts going, oh, I can do that. I can do that. And the last thing is, is honestly, I don't want any men to disrespect any women for their role in ministry here. I can't fix it everywhere else. We've had at times when one of our amazing ladies have come to preach and you'll see a, a man stand up and walk out of the service because he's, he believes he's living by conviction. So I respect his conviction. He's just wrong. And, um, and so, um, I, you know, he's, he's, I, I'm not here to, well, maybe criticize a little bit, but I'm just saying, um, I, we, we, we want us to have a better foundation in that. Um, and I will say to all the men um, that are in the house, empowering women is not disempowering men. There's, there's plenty of power for all of us. There, there's plenty for all of us to do. There, there's no limit to the amount of ministry that needs to be done. And so, you know, only weak men want to keep women down. And um, so we're, we're, we're a church with strong men. We have amazing men's what? ministry kicked off. And we have a, oh. a belt to show how manly we are when we win, our, when we win the competitions. And listen, I'm all for the men, you know. We're going to eat chicken wings and watch football if we want and all that. But listen, we're also going to respect and honor and lift women because because that's our job as well. Amen. 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 Well, listen, um, I hope you've enjoyed today's message. I want to close with an invitation for anyone here that has never met Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And um, I know I've been talking. Well, I haven't about met him yet. <laughs> yeah, you haven't heard anything about him. There's no reason to continue with this. That's really not the, uh, the reason why we are here together. It's just to analyze the arguments that one posits for the ordination of women, which obviously, as you pointed out earlier, it's going full seam whether you like it or not. 
one of the things that was a clear omission was wrestling with First Timothy chapter two, mm-hmm. which I I think he went to First Corinthians because it was easier for him to get out of. But if he wants to actually take this head on, then why not at least deal with the more popular verse or the quote, quote Sedes Doctrinae against this, which is First Timothy chapter two, which let's say beginning at verse 10, he says, but rather by means of good works as befits women making a claim to godliness, let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being quite deceived, fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children, if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. That verse is a very difficult verse for him to just hurdle over. And perhaps he could do so by saying that, again, Paul was addressing Timothy's unique situation, his unique cultural experience in that particular church at that time. Fine, that's the way that's typically gotten out of. But at the same time, he, he missed that very clear and difficult passage that would have been good for him to address, at least if he's going to be honest about trying to wrestle with what the Bible says. Furthermore, that's not actually our argument. And what St. Paul introduces there, two things. First of all, this order of creation. That there is an order by which God has created, and there's an order by which, as St. Paul said there, man has fallen. First Eve, and then Adam. And it's not to say that all of original sin derives from Eve alone. Adam, her man, who was with her, also ate of the fruit. But it is to say that there is an order by which this has happened. The second issue is what we mean by order or submissiveness, which he just totally throws out, like submissiveness is not a thing. And I think this is where our church has a very important place to argue for how God has ordered creation, Husbands to wives, parents to children, pastors to people. And in this order, what we, uh, the, the word that we have in English that comes from this Greek word is taxonomy. There's an actual order or a hierarchy by which God has created this ordered world. And he's done so not to devalue those that are below but to provide a means for his gifts to be given. And so a parent has no greater worth than the child. A husband has no greater worth or value than his wife. A pastor has no greater worth or value than his people that hear. And yet in this order, God has established the giving of his gifts. And so a parent is most parent 
when he and she, mother and father, are providing gifts of shelter, food, nourishment, love, formation to their children, and the children being properly submissive or subject to those that are over them, receive these with thanksgiving. And that is their participation in this order. Same with women to men. A husband is given in an ordered way to provide, to protect, and to procreate with his wife. And she, in response and full participation, receives with thanksgiving what God gives through her man. Same with pastors and with people. God has ordered the giving of his gifts such that there would be ordained men to preach, teach, and administer the sacraments so that his people receiving them with faith would be saved. So, Pastor Lovett, if you, for instance, on Saturday night, God forbid, fell and hit your head really, really hard, so much so that it knocked you unconscious, and when you woke up, you were still reeling from the effects of it and stumbled into this church by accident and heard this sermon. (laughs) That may be the only context in which you would go and hear this sermon. So, and you heard this sermon, what would you think? Well, I I think that however long we have been at this podcast is, today is exactly what I would think that it's 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 a naked pandering to the spirit of the age. It's a um, a devaluation of women. Um, it's an attempt to make an androgynous ministry where God doesn't care about man and woman, but He only cares about. Um, the power that enables human beings to be powerful. It, there's a, there, he didn't mention it very often, but it was a strong undercurrent that the whole point of this is to have power. He mentioned it early on. There was a big spiel about power and empowering. And then at the end, he mentioned it again, that the whole purpose of Christianity then is to just give power. Well, if the axiom is true, and I think it is, that power corrupts, then if the whole purpose is to give power, then the purpose is to corrupt. And the God is not here to empower us. He is here to save us from sin, death, and the power of the devil. We need to heed the words of the apostles and submit ourselves to them so that, as Father Jeff so eloquently said just now, we are ordered in the order of God. When Paul says um, God is a God of order and not chaos, I think all of us are somewhat guilty of saying that means he thinks one thing should happen at a time and there should be no disruptive women, right? (laughs) We want to say it that way, but that's the order we're talking about. But God is not a God of order in the sense that a lot of things aren't happening at once. You simply look at the, uh, the symphony of creation, all the things that are happening at the same time, say if you're on a ship on the ocean, or if you're um, participating in a, a hike through the Grand Canyon, all of the things that are happening at the same time, this loud, vibrant symphony of order. So it's not that that this was disruptive and so be quiet so people can hear the speaker and so forth, but rather that God is the God that places all things in its proper place, that he is a God of order. 
So I, I, I hope I never hit my head so hard that I travel out of state to attend a church that I would not otherwise attend. But if I were, I think I'd think the same thing we've been saying now uh, since the podcast began, that this is not a scriptural sermon in any sense. Uh, so the admonition is to, if you hear anything like this, to what? Run away. Run, Run away. away. That's exactly Run what away. I was thinking. Well, there's the music. Pastor Lovett, Pastor Boyle, thank you very much for joining me on the He-Man Woman Haters podcast. <laughs> no, wait a second. That's not what this is. You've been listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors Devin Kearns and John Bruss. If you'd like to support the work they do, go to their Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the plucked chicken. How much longer we got to do this? How many times can we say this isn't a good idea? <laughs>